0: A little hidden history, a little pedagogy, a lot of ways we can improve our teaching and mindset so that our history and social studies classrooms tell a more complete, diverse human story. I'm Sherylann well, Amendola, and name this is, is the Teaching Mandela, History Her Podcast. I want to welcome you to the Teaching History Her Way Podcast. I am so very, very excited that you are here. I had to take a brief hiatus just for a little while. Um, my mom passed away in late August, and... It was devastating. So I would like to dedicate this episode and basically all future episodes to my mom, the strongest woman that I know and knew. This episode is particularly good for her because I'll be talking about women's history and some really strong women from the colonial era. And my mom was a woman who always told me that there was no such thing as I can't. She told me basically I was capable of anything that I set my mind to, and she was right. She was right for me, and she was right for all of us, and she always told me that there was nothing in the world that a girl couldn't do simply because she was a girl. So the ladies that we're talking about today hold close to my heart because they are basically what my mom told me I could be, but like from... 200 years ago. So mom, this one and all the rest of them are for you. I love you very much. So let's get into the history portion. First of all, I want to talk about why it's so important to study women's history. And studying women's history should not ever be an add-on. Because if you think about it, women are 50% of the population. And they have been. And even though we don't always hear women's names or women's stories, which we should, You have to automatically assume that women, either as a group or individually, were involved somehow in the stories that we're hearing because they were there. They were political and economic and social agents during the times that we study, during all of the times that we study. And it's important that we remember who they are and add them into the stories that we're telling because they shouldn't be missing to begin with. Our textbooks have a very low male to female ratio as far as who we're studying in history. And a lot of times if you look at your textbook or even sometimes a traditional history book written by a traditional historian, women are usually in an aside or they're in one of those picture things to the side of the rest of the text. And they're not featured as main actors, but just somebody that we're tacking on to to cover something or to um, to make sure that we have a woman as part of the story to check off a box. And women are not supposed to be a box to check off women are a part of the story most of the time they're a huge part of the story so today I'd like to talk to you about some women that I know of from history that you can add into what you're doing every day in your units now my super most favorite time period is the colonial time period in North America particularly the British colonies so I'll be focusing in the British colonies today though I might add some women from the Spanish colonies and the French colonies because there were some some really cool things going on everywhere that women were doing. But for the sake of not having an hour-long episode, we're going to take it nice and slow in the 13 British colonies. So first, I'd like to tell you about an amazing resource that I got to actually be a part of over the course of the summer, starting in April and then all summer long. And it is the Women and the American Story Program through the New York Historical Society Oh my goodness, everyone, you need to go to whams.nyhistory.org right now because the way that the Women in the American Story program sets up their website, it is just absolutely perfect for teachers, but also absolutely perfect for students. So when you head over to their website, they introduce you to all kinds of women, groups of women and individual women throughout the several time periods in American history. And they include key ideas and essential questions. They um, allow you to explore by themes. So for example, if I wanted to look at activism and social change in the colonial era, I could click it and groups of women would come up. Um, I can also explore by section. Or if I want to, I can look at all the resources all at the same time. But then if I'm in their colonial section, I can also sort by uh, by colony by or by colonizer, I should say. I can search by Dutch. I can search through English. I can search through Spanish. I can search through French colonies. But then I don't want you to think that this is Eurocentric either because it absolutely 100% is not. As you go through each time period, you'll also see the names of women from indigenous tribes who were really, really essential in warfare for their tribe or defending their tribe or doing diplomatic negotiations for their tribes. So there are lots of different kinds of women from all different kinds of backgrounds, racial, socioeconomic, etc., that you can pull up and learn about maybe you've never heard of them before or maybe you want your students to recognize them. But the wonderful thing about the way the WAMS program or the Women in the American Story program put their website together is that they have all of these resources in one place and you can look at it through time periods. So You're not limited to colonial. There's also, um, coming up will be the federal era. They also have more modern women. So go there, check it out. And it's built so that you can infuse your curriculum with women's history rather than making them those add-ons that we talked about before. And one of the things I know that I loved most about going to history class with teachers who took care to make sure that they looked around their classroom and saw who was in there is whenever a woman came up, my heart like set on fire because here was somebody in history who was doing something really awesome and she was like me. So we always want to make sure that our students are seeing themselves in the curriculum. Now another caveat with women's history that you need to make sure that you watch out for is a lot of times when you pick up a women's history book, um, it's the automatic automatic assumption, excuse me, that the woman that they're talking about or the women that they're talking about um, are white. So if you're picking up a book about colonial women's history and you're reading about the life of a colonial woman depending on the author and also the date of publication you're probably picking something up that is about white women in the colonial era and you have to just really be very cognizant and careful to look for sources that include a whole intersection of women. Make sure that black women are covered because a black woman's experience in the colonial era was definitely not the same as a white woman's experience. You need to take a look at indigenous women who experienced life in a completely different way. Then you can also get into socioeconomics. Rich women and poor women and middling women are And enslaved women all experienced life in different ways because of socioeconomic status and race. Uh, You might also look at it from a religious lens. Quaker women experienced life completely differently than someone who was another Protestant sect. So as we are talking about women in this episode and as we go back and we reflect about what our curriculum looks like and what we want it to look like, Make sure that you're cognizant of those blind spots because up until a few years ago, I would pick up a book and be like, oh yeah, look, this is the, the experience of a colonial woman. Well, I really needed to stop and reflect and think and say, well, wait a minute, this is only the experience of one kind of colonial woman. So depending on what we look like, how much money we have, what religion we practice, etc., our life experiences are different. So keep that in mind as much as you can. All right, so today on this episode, I wanted to focus on a few different women that I thought were extremely cool and I exposed my students to these women because they are really really great and people that they might never have heard of before. So the first person that I wanted to talk to you about is someone that I found in the WAMS program as I was studying um, as I was studying WAMS and her name is Weedemoo. Weedemoo was born sometime in the early to mid 1600s in what we now know as Cape Cod but at the time, it was the Wampanoag Confederacy in New England. She was uh, the daughter of the Sachem or leader of the Pocasset people. And the Pocasset people were a part of the Wampanoag Confederacy. So Weedemoe had no brothers. Um, and her father taught her basically everything she needed to know about hunting, about fishing, about fighting about negotiations and diplomacy. So Wiedemoe was a warrior queen, if you really want to put it that way. The policy of the Wampanoag at the time Wiedemoe was growing up was to use diplomacy with the English. So they tried to stay peaceful with the English whenever they could. But as the people of the Plymouth Colony got more and more land hungry and they tried to take away land from the Wampanoag Confederacy. The Wampanoag had to come up with some kind of other way to keep the English at bay, to keep them from completely taking over. So Weidamu will become sachem of the Picasset people and she also as the sachem, as the leader, has to figure out how our we, how am I going to protect my people from the threats of the English? Because the, the English not only bring warfare, but they also bring disease. And they can decimate the Wampanoag people, the, the people of the Wampanoag Confederacy, by simply being there. So Widamoo uses her gender as a way to get more power. So not only is she the sachem of her people, but she also marries other sachems from other Wampanoag confederacy tribes. So she marries the sachem of Saugus as her first marriage. And then when he died, she married Wamsutta, who was the son of Massasoit. And Massasoit was the great sachem of the Wampanoag confederacy. She also uses her sister's marriage to her husband's brother, Medicom of Medicom's War. So she's able to consolidate power for herself by... Through marriage. So not only is she trained in all these awesome things. She's incredibly smart. She is a warrior. She is a leader of her own tribe. But she also is able to use her status as a woman to marry into more power. Because she has some ideas about how she's going to protect her people. So when her husband becomes the great sachem when his father dies in 1661, she as his wife gets more stature in the community. And as the English demand more land throughout this time period, they they still need to figure out how they're going to how they're going to keep the English at bay. When her husband dies, Wetamu actually allies with Metacom, who becomes the Great Sachem, and they decide that The English can't be their allies. The English can't be their friends. They believe that uh, Wamsoto was poisoned by the English. So when tensions with the English rise the Wampanoag start attacking English settlements to try and stop the English people coming into Wampanoag lands. This is the start of Medicom's War in 1675. The English call this war King Philip's War because they called Medicom King Philip because they decided that they didn't want to or couldn't say his name, which is something that we do not do to anyone. And we are going to call it Medicom's War in this this podcast. So Wiedemoe and Medicom fight to try to protect the Wampanoag from the English, from English aggression, from English takeover, etc. So what Wiedemoe does is she takes the warriors that she's in charge of and she commits them to this cause in Medicom's war. And her connections mean that she is able to, because of all of her marriages, command an entire alliance of tribal warriors which is really awesome and part of some of the primary sources that are written about her call her basically a menace they say that she's part of the mischief and she's the reason that so much blood was shed in the war so they lead raids on English settlements all throughout New England in 1675 and 1676 and they were really good at winning for a time so they had to make sure that they outsmarted the English and they did have basically home field advantage but Wiedemoe ends up Wiedemoe and Medicom end up losing the war anyway so the English were able to wear away the tribal alliances that The Wampanoag Confederacy worked so hard to pull together. And they killed many, many Wampanoag people. They sold Wampanoag people into slavery if they hadn't died. And eventually, the leadership dies as well. Widamoo dies while crossing a river on her way into a battle. And what happens to Widamoo is the English happen to stumble upon her body And they decapitate her and put her head on a stake. And they use this as a form of intimidation. And they put it on a pole outside of of an English settlement to show that Wiedemoe had been defeated and that Medicom's war was basically over. So Wiedemoe is a way to show your students, her story is a way to show your students that women were a very big factor in Native communities in trying to fight back against settlement, in this case, British settlement. And if you go to the Women in the American Story website, you can actually see the letters that the English wrote about her so that you can see where her story comes from, but also understand that the English were totally against her, which was another wonderful way of showing students that there are two sides to every story. So the primary sources that we see about Wiedemoe are written by the aggressor, by the person who was was going after her land and her confederacy. So um, Wiedemoe is a very big suggestion in my book, and I hope that you can incorporate her story into your class in one way or another. Another thing that I try to emphasize when we talk about colonization in North America is the fact that indigenous people were here and they were a political force that needed to be talked to and dealt with diplomatically. So there are diplomatic relations between indigenous people's tribes and the English and the Dutch and the French. So it's not as if the English got here and the Dutch got here and all of these people just submitted or surrendered. We have to remember that indigenous tribes are powerful political entities. You don't just come in and take their stuff because they are powerful political entities that need to be respected that deserve the same kind of diplomatic negotiation as another European country would get from the Europeans who land landed in North America. So another interesting woman that I like to bring up in my classes is, and excuse my pronunciation, I'm not great with Dutch names, but I'm going to try, is Sarah Rolfs Kirsteed von Borsum. So Sarah, or if we want to go by last name, von Borsum, was a translator in meetings with the Lenny Lenape. And the Lenny Lenape tribe was in my neck of the woods uh, in northern New Jersey. And she would speak to the government of the Netherlands back in Europe um, about what's going on with the Lenape communities. She served as an interpreter. And being an interpreter was really important because she was able to learn a new language. And I'm not sure what you know about the Lenape, but there were three different um, language groups of Lenape people. And she was a translator in negotiations between the Dutch and Lenape. And the Dutch people considered her work to be so very important that she received rewards from the Dutch and the Lenape for her work. So she was granted land by the Dutch which is questionable in and of itself if we talk about land ownership. But the Dutch government considered her work to be so important that they gave her a land grant, which doesn't really happen for women as much. Um, and in fact, the land grant was, her, was to her but was given to her husband because of property-owning um, laws at the time. But again, another woman worth studying. And lastly, so that my podcast episode doesn't go on forever, one other very interesting resource on the Women in the American Story website, and they're all very interesting, but these are a few of my favorites that I'm sharing with you, is a patent for cleaning and curing corn. So... We all know that food is essential to survival. When we teach kids about ancient civilizations, we talk about how a stable food supply is the most important thing for uh, a community to have. And the first patent that was issued to an English colonist was a patent for cleaning and curing corn. And it was given to a woman named Sybilla Masters. So she had to file it under her husband's name. And I will do a whole other episode on why that was so and on on a concept called coverture. But... She had to file it in her husband's name because women couldn't be recognized by the law in English society, but this woman was able to find a more efficient way to clean corn, which we know, number one, came from indigenous tribes. Uh, Indigenous tribes taught English people how to actually grow this crop, and we also know that it was a life-sustaining crop both for indigenous people and then the English people who came here uh, and took over the land afterwards so she invented a way to pound corn in the same way a mortar and pestle would the same way uh native women would do this but she made it with less made it made it happen with less effort so um her husband happened to be excited and proud excited for her and proud of her so she was listed in the government records as the true inventor and that's how we know that a woman invented the um invented this corn gin, basically. So I really hope that, number one, you learned a little something today and enjoyed this episode. Number two, I really encourage you to visit whams.nyhistory.org and take advantage of all they have to offer. There are also lesson plans in there and there are questions that relate different women to different time periods and to different people within the same unit. It's just one of the best resources that I've ever come across for women's history and history in general. And I really hope that you'll join me for my next episode. So until then, and thank you so very much for joining me. Again, my name is Cheryl Ann Amendola with the Teaching History Her Way podcast. If you would like to get in touch with me between episodes or just chat, you can find me on Twitter at History Her Way or on Instagram at Teaching History Her Way, or you can visit me at www.teachinghistoryherway.com. Have a lovely day.